Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Welcome back as uh, we take a look at the historical Jesus. Today we are in the last gospel, the gospel of John. And if you've missed the previous episodes, please go back and listen to those. We cover the an intro along with the book of Mark in episode one, the book of Matthew in episode two. No, sorry, the book of Q, the Q gospel in, in episode two, the book of Matthew in episode three, the book of Luke in episode four, and today we're covering the book of John. These are short. These are less than a half hour each. And and I hope you're getting something from these, especially if you're a Latter-day Saint who's been really unaware of the biblical scholarship uh, behind the historical Jesus. After this episode, we will have kind of a conclusion episode where we kind of tie all these Gospels in, kind of give you a refresher on all the things we talked about, and kind of talk about what this means in terms of the historical Jesus, particularly with Mormonism. And so today we're in the book of John. And so the book of John uh, likely was written, scholars believe, written between 90 and 110 A.D. Uh, the book of John is much more hostile toward the Jews than any of the other Gospels. John John is much more, there's much more of a tension in John with the Jewish people. Now again, notice Mark. So, so Mark early on, very little tension. Matthew and Luke, a little more so. And then John, much more. And this idea that we talked about that the followers of Jesus, this Jesus movement would have been a fringe movement within the Jewish faith. And the further away we get from Jesus in time, the more tension there is between the Jews and those who want to be Jews but are following Jesus but are being pushed out of the synagogue. And at some point, they just completely have to essentially create their own faith, which becomes Christianity. But the very first generation of Jesus followers would not have been a separate faith at all, would have been part of Judaism. The second generation, almost entirely so. And not until the third generation, fourth generation, does this, does this tension begin to hit a point where people are moving out of the synagogue and essentially separating themselves from Judaism and becoming a faith that stands on its own two feet. This idea of John being more hostile to the Jews, it, it reaches a climactic point in John chapter 8 when Jesus is portrayed as denouncing the Jews as the offspring of Satan. Um, we, we should recognize again, did Jesus actually say that? Highly unlikely. That rather, as more time intervenes between Jesus and when a particular author is writing his gospel down, he is, he is essentially inserting his frustration into the narrative that, that his faith is not being accepted by those he considers to be of the same church as he is, essentially. It has become generally accepted that certain sayings in John are as old or older than the synoptic counterparts. Now, we should stop here and say, it doesn't mean that John is writing this earlier. No, he's writing it later. But rather that some of his sayings tend to, to come off to the scholars as being very authentic. That whoever this John is, he seems to, on some occasions, have a really good source for what he's putting into his account. And and it should be noted here that John's gospel is so different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get one perspective of Jesus. 
and in John you get another. Keep in mind too, like we said, that in Mark, Jesus becomes divine at his baptism. In Matthew and Luke, there are nativity story, the nativity story is entered in. The, the idea of a virgin mother who's overcome by the Holy Spirit and who gives birth to Jesus in a manger, this is all not in Mark, but only found in Matthew and in Luke. John is so different than those first three synoptic gospels. He doesn't have a nativity either, but if you just read his gospel, it's a very, it's a very different feel to it. Um, the language is a lot more allegorical at times, a lot more expressive, a lot more, adds a lot more to the imagination. Uh, John just does a really different job of writing down his account. And, and we should note that whereas Mark had Jesus becoming divine at baptism and Matthew and Luke have him being divine at birth, John goes one step further and has Jesus always having been divine. He is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things are created, and, and all of that that happens in the very beginning of John. It, it, we begin to recognize that Jesus' Christology, which we mentioned in episode one, becomes greater and greater as we move through these accounts. It especially becomes uh, contrasting when we look at the writings of Paul and his epistles, we recognize that in Paul's epistles, he really has this focus on Jesus being divine at the resurrection on. And we should also recognize that Paul's writings actually are the earliest writings out of all of this. And so Paul's writings are written first. He has Jesus divine from the resurrection on. Mark comes next and backs that up to baptism. Then Matthew and Luke come in and they back that up to birth. And then John comes in here as the last gospel and backs Jesus's Christology essentially back through eternity, that Jesus was always divine. John's representation of the topography of Jerusalem is often superior to that of the synoptics. Um, his testimony that Jesus was executed before rather than on Passover might well be more accurate. So I'll just stop here and say, you should recognize that in the three synoptic gospels, there is agreement that Jesus is executed um, on Passover, on the day of Passover, whereas John has him being executed before that. And so there's a, a very distinct discrepancy here, and we can't we can't accept both sides of this. There's no way to reconcile that. So either Jesus was baptized on Passover or he was baptized before Passover, but we have to pick one. And John has him being executed before Passover. And scholars, most scholars believe this to be a more accurate detail on John's part rather than the synoptic gospels. His presentation of Jesus in the garden and in the prior meeting held by the Jewish authorities is also possibly more uh, historically plausible then there's synoptic parallels. Um, this idea that Jesus is in this Garden of Gethsemane, in this prior meeting held by the Jewish authorities, more more historically plausible, probable, than the synoptics uh, story. It should also be noted, one of the huge differences here is that rather than the first implementation of the Eucharist or sacrament that Jesus does in the synoptic Gospels, John totally avoids 
anything to do with the sacrament. And on that same night, rather than a sacrament, he has Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. And so there's this very different, it's sure, it's possible that both occurred. It's kind of like comparing the first vision accounts in Mormonism. That the first 1832 account says something, and then the 1838 account says something else. And you can kind of struggle to reconcile those, or you can just recognize that they're talking about uh, two different experiences just just being shared differently. And trying to recognize that John is saying, like, rather than even talk about the sacrament at all, like, as if it didn't even happen, let's focus on Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. And whereas the Synoptic Gospels mention nothing of this feet washing, they've got Jesus passing around the bread and the wine. And so there's there's these distinct differences between John and the Synoptic Gospels that just, it's almost as if his gospel is completely unrelated to the other three. We We have fragments of the Gospel of John dating to the first half of the second century. So this would be like 110, 120, 130 AD, 140 AD. And it's the oldest New Testament manuscript known. So while we believe it is the latest in chronology written on for that for that first time that it's written down, the actual documents we have in existence, the copies of them, the old the, John's copies are older than than the rest of them. That we have these fragments to the second century, whereas with the other gospels, we're into the third century and not a full text until the fourth century. We have a substantially complete text of John uh, from the beginning of the 3rd century. So this would be like 210-ish A.D., which is just incredible. And, and while John is believed to have been the last gospel written of the four, again, this is the, we, the, the text that we have in existence is the earliest in terms of manuscript. And hence, it is trusted to be the most accurate, the most similar to what the original copy would have said. And so with John, we have this kind of idea that there was less time to distort it, and so we can hold a view that it's a more accurate presentation of what that that original gospel said versus what we have in existence versus what the other synoptic gospels said originally. In the book of John, Jesus is straightforward about who he is. If you go back to the synoptic gospels, Jesus is obscuring who he is. When he does a miracle, he tells people not to say anything to anyone. He doesn't announce to his disciples anything about being the Messiah or dying and raising himself up until towards the end of his ministry. He 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 doesn't really lead his followers to believing. He doesn't make it clear to them. He doesn't lead them on into thinking he's the Messiah throughout his ministry. And yet in John, something very different takes place. From the very beginning of John, uh, John is telling people, the, the Jesus is telling people that I am the Messiah, I am here to save you, and I'm going to die and be resurrected. Jesus is very blunt and forward about who he is and his connection to his Father in heaven in the book of John. Not so in the other ones. Not so in the Synoptic Gospels. In the book of John, Jesus says very early on, I am that I am. Meaning, I am the God of the Old Testament. I am Jehovah. Jesus also says, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth in the life, and the true vine. In the book of John, John has Jesus 
claiming to be these things, these analogies. In the book of John, John the Baptist, again, is minimized. He's not even referred to as the Baptist, even though it is obvious. And it is clear that he is sub- he is subordinate to Jesus. I want to read a little more. We talked about this in the last episode. But I want to read a little more about this. I'm just talking about, I'm just reading a little bit from a blog. There are, there are different methods of biblical criticism. Um, multiple attestation. So when, when something is testified to in multiple sources that are unconnected to each other, uh, that adds to the truth of the event. Uh, dissimilarity. If Jesus says or does something at odds with what was believed of him or would be offensive to them, but was written down anyway, this increases the likelihood of his historicity. Uh, versimilitude. Anything attributed to Jesus that is very different from the history, culture, or language of the region in which he lived is likely authentic. Uh, oral form. So short parables contained in the first three Gospels are far more likely to be authentic than the long drawn out ones in John. That, that there's so much time has passed from Jesus' life to when these things are written down that any kind of long f- articulate statements of what Jesus said are, are going to likely be insertions or at least errors of memory. And so whenever we have these short sayings, they're just, they're going to be easier for people to remember and to get accurate and to get right. And so we can have more trust in them simply from that point of view. Also coherence, uh, that if something is reported of Jesus and is consistent with other reports, the greater the likelihood of authenticity. So those are some of the things that happens. Now there's a, there's a, uh, a book, a book of Tobin and it talks about Jesus's baptism and Tobin says, uh, quote, Jesus's baptism by John the Baptist was something that caused difficulties and embarrassment for the early Christians. Since by the time the gospels were written, the early Christians believed Jesus to be more than a mere man. His submitting to baptism by John would mean that he required cleansing for his sins, something that they would not have accepted. Here's what Mark says about the baptism. It happened, this is in the Gospel of Mark, quote, It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came out of the sky, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice it's Jesus here who is having this experience with Heavenly Father. It's Mark, again, has Jesus almost for the first time going, Oh, wait a minute. I'm special. Look what just happened. God is calling me. Right? Of note is that there is no indication that John recognized Jesus as the Messiah or that Jesus is greater than John. John doesn't experience this. This is told in a way that says that Jesus is the one who experiences this spiritual manifestation, that that this new truth was being revealed to Jesus and Jesus only. So there's no indication that anyone there saw the heavens open up or any descending bird, indicating that these are just poetic license. This is a plausible story. But with the Gospels that come after Mark, we see an evolution of the story. Remember, Mark was one of the sources for both Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So Matthew in chapter 3 says it this way, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. But John would have hindered him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answering said to him, Allow it now, 
for this is the fitting way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up directly from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming up, coming on him. Behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Note the significant alterations from Mark's account here. First, John is fully cognizant of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the superior of the two. Second, the Spirit of God is now addressing the people in attendance of the baptism directly. Luke similarly makes John's inferior status explicit. With the Gospel of John, historically the last of the Gospels be written, the whole of the baptism disappears. Here's the quote from John. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I didn't know him, but for this reason I came baptizing in water, that he would be revealed to Israel. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending on him like a dove out of heaven, and it remained on him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water, he said to me, On whomever you will see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he who baptized in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with the two, with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so you notice here, as we move from Mark to Matthew and Luke to John, there there is this need to kind of change the narrative to reflect that rather than Jesus submitting himself to John the baptizer and, and Jesus being the, the underling of his mentor, John the Baptist, that by the time we get to John, we just have John just shaking in his boots and just crystal clear that this is the Messiah and I'm simply just doing this to, to fulfill the commandment. And, and you notice this change shows that the early followers of Jesus were very uncomfortable with Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And this criterion of embarrassment, uh, comes through really strongly in, in this instance. Uh, whereas in one of the other gospels, John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to see Jesus and to see if he is the real deal. In John, the Baptist tells two of his men that this is the Christ. John the Baptist publicly proclaims Jesus to be the Lamb of God. The Baptist recognizes Jesus secretly in Matthew, and not at all in Mark or Luke. The Gospel of John also has the Baptist deny that he is Elijah, whereas Mark and Matthew identify him with Elijah. In the book of John... Jesus is prophesying of his death and his resurrection from the get-go. I mean, this guy has been, this guy has been reserved from before when the world was created to come forward as the Messiah. And, and he is letting everyone know it from the, from the first chapter of John on. Again, there's no nativity. Mark has no nativity. John has no nativity. Matthew and Luke are the ones who add this into the story. It, did it really happen? Didn't it? That's going to be a matter of faith. The likelihood of the Herod story being true is, is at best barely plausible. And with that said, we should recognize that there are other elements of the nativity story that are, 
misunderstood or likely later embellishment by Matthew and Luke into the story. Uh, the mother of Jesus, while certainly mentioned in the book of John, is never identified uh, by her name. So Mary is never mentioned as the mother of Jesus, just, just his mother is mentioned. Jesus, again, washes the disciples' feet instead of celebrating the first Eucharist, as in the synoptics. In the book of John, the, the apostles or disciples have different names. For instance, Nathaniel instead of Bartholomew. Uh, in the book of John, uh, whereas in other Gospels that they speak of the, uh, the brothers James and John, the, brother, the sons of Zebedee, very highly, John's Gospel seems to diminish them that they don't play as prominent a role and they are not spoken of as highly as in the other Gospels. In the book of John, the events are different and in a different order than in the synoptics. So there's a lot of different events you don't get in the synoptics and the events that are shared are in a much different order. In the synoptic Gospels, according to them, the arrest of Jesus was a reaction to the cleansing of the temple while according to John, it was triggered by the raising of Lazarus. Uh, the cleansing of the temple appears towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the synoptics, it occurs uh, just before Jesus is crucified. And so again, the order of events is much different. Another thing that happens here is that Jesus' ministry in the book of John goes from being little over one year to being a three-year ministry. We know this because of the number of mentions of the Passover in this account. And so it's kind of commonly understood in Mormonism that Jesus had a three-year ministry. That's because Mormonism and other, most of other Christianity, uh, I should say most of the rest of Christianity, preferences uh, John's three-year account over the one-year ministry that is taught in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and with that, that is essentially the end of the book of John. Uh, again, I would recommend that folks go back and read each of these Gospels. Take a piece of paper, take a pen, read through them and say, take all my biases out for a moment. What does this book tell me who Jesus is? How does it portray other apostles? How does it portray the women that, that are mentioned in various parts of these Gospels? Uh, what is Jesus teaching? How 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 is he interacting with the people? Is he stating his role early on? Is he obscuring his role? Does he want people to know who he is? Does he not want people to know who he is? And and we just have to kind of do that and recognize that while we've tried to mesh these four together and we've created manuals that kind of skips over the contradictions and we try to like teach it as if it just flows together beautifully, I think the more we dive into this, the more we realize that there's just so many differences. I've only hit the tip of the iceberg above the surface here. There's just so much more to kind of gravitate towards and to look at. Uh, that wraps up this episode with the book of John. Join us for the last and final episode when we work on some kind of conclusion material, uh, talk a little bit more about the similarities and differences between the books, and talk about what this means for Christianity and for Mormonism once we, as followers of Jesus, choose to become informed in terms of learning not only by faith but also by study and what that can do for our faith and what that means in terms of places we have to shift and change. May the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless and have a great day.